good morning, church. Uh, it is a great joy to study the Word of God with you uh, this morning. Please open your Bibles to the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms, we are going to look at Psalm 1. Psalm 1. And it reads, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. In the confused world where people are self-centered and self-governing, Many struggle to understand what righteousness is or what wickedness is. Sin has blinded many in such a way that they don't know what the benefits of being righteous are. And they don't know how righteousness looks like. Because of this ignorance, many have redefined righteousness. People think the face of righteousness is the one they see whenever they look at the mirror. The standard of righteousness is whatever they prefer at that particular moment. And the benefit of righteousness is self-satisfaction. Instead of asking, is this right? They ask, is it going to make me happy? So the righteousness becomes anything that I like and everything that serves me. If something is unfair to others but fair to me and those who are close to me, then it is righteous. If a friend defrauds or robs others just to help me, then he is a good friend. This is how people view righteousness. The first chapter of the book of Psalm, however, will show us true righteousness. Psalm 1 shows us that true righteousness comes from God and it leads to God. As we look at the two parts of life shown in Psalm 1, I want us to see the virtues of the righteous. But I also want us to see the vices and the destiny of the wicked. We will spend most of our time focusing on the virtues of the righteous and we'll touch a little bit on the vices of the wicked. This morning we are focusing on practical righteousness. However, it is significant to understand that there is no practical righteousness without positional righteousness. And positional righteousness must always lead to practical righteousness. By nature, we know that we do not possess righteousness. In Romans 3.10, Paul said, none is righteous. No, not one. Isaiah said, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garment. In other place, he said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And when Jesus was talking to Peter, he said, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. There is one thing common in all these verses. That is, man has no righteousness of his own. 
However, the scripture shows us that through faith in Jesus Christ alone, we have imputed or positional righteousness. It is this positional righteousness that must produce practical righteousness. The psalm shows us exactly that. As we look at the path of the righteous, first we see that the righteous are blessed. Verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. When people hear the word blessed, they quickly search their pockets and think about all these great things that money can buy. They associate this word with big German, German cars. They associate it with luxurious houses and opulent clothing. When you talk to ordinary people and say, may God bless you, they can't wait to check if more zeros have been added to their bank balance. To them, the word blessed is a synonym to money. This is not just unbelievers. We have Christians who think in that way. Now, think of this. If you see a guy who is driving nice cars, owning few businesses, and have a beautiful house, without talking to him, you easily assume that he is blessed. But if you are walking and you met a guy who is limping and bleeding because he was beaten by some people, would you ever think that guy is blessed? You will probably not, even if he was carrying his Bible. That is because many people do not or never associate suffering with blessing. But listen to what Jesus said. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Matthew 5, verse 10 to 11. Truly, no one wants to be persecuted. It is not nice. But Jesus said, those who are persecuted for righteousness are blessed. In Matthew 5, Jesus mentions word blessed at least nine times. And not even once is he talking about things that money can buy. He says, the poor in spirit are blessed. Why? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, those who are merciful are blessed. Why? Because they shall receive mercy. He says, those who are pure in heart are blessed. Why? Because they shall see God. He said, those who are peacemakers are blessed. Why? Because they shall be called sons of God. There is more, but one thing is clear. These blessings result from what the righteous have in God. What then is a blessing? A blessing is the true joy that God gives to those who look upon him and are satisfied in him. When we say the righteous are blessed, we mean the righteous are filled with joy because they have God who is the source of joy. And because their eyes are fixed on heaven, the righteous are vigilant. Let us look at our text. Blessed is the man who walk not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seats of the scoffers. The writer uses three negative phrases to explain one thing which is association. He talks about not walking in the counsel of the wicked. We live in the world where everyone has an opinion and everyone wants to behave. On social media, people are always ready for interaction. Google is waiting for you to just type your question. Whatever topic you think of, people have something to say. Some are just voicing their opinions, but some mean well. They are just trying to help. 
whatever the case may be. The psalmist shows that the righteous should not heed the counsel of the wicked. That is what the, the psalmist shows us. When you have questions, who do you ask? When you are overwhelmed, who do you talk to? When you want to make big decisions, who advises you? It is not wise and it will never help you to listen to God's word on Sunday when you are going to listen to the world during the week. It does not help anyone to receive God's word on Sunday while receiving ungodly counsel during the week. Sometimes we get ungodly counsel from the people that we love. We love our families, we love our friends, we love our colleagues. But if their views are not shaped by God's word, or if their views are contrary to God's word, we are setting ourselves for failure if we make them our advisors. We should always be getting godly counsel. For that reason, we need discipleship. For that reason, we need biblical friendships. We cannot be spending most of our time getting ungodly counsel and expect to grow spiritually. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Jason Wright puts it like this. Never make an intimate friend of anyone who is not a friend of God. This does not mean we will never learn anything from unbelievers. But it definitely means the people who influence us the most should be the people who are influenced by Christ and His glorious will. Brothers and sisters, we must be vigilant. Ungodly friendships and ungodly relationships are dangerous. Apart from family, these are the relationships that have more effect on our lives. If we get those wrongs, we are not just disobeying God, but we are in danger of neglecting God when it comes to making big decisions. Do not be standing in the way of sinners. The wicked persist in sin. Are you walking in their counsel? The wicked reject instruction. Are you standing in their way? The wicked harden their hearts even when they hear the word of God. Are you sitting in their seats? I want you to see the pattern of wickedness that the Psalter shows here. First, it is walking in the counsel of the wicked. Second, it is standing in the way of sinners. And third, it is sitting in the seat of scoffers. This is a downward spiral the righteous must avoid. It starts by receiving counsel or advice from the wicked. Next thing, you abide or continue in their way. You spend most time with them. You start talking like them. You start living like them. Before you realize, you'll be comfortable in being around people who mock God. And you'll be even making excuses for them. Oh, I know they are unbelievers. And their language can be strong sometimes. But they are nice people. Beloved, the only wise God has already addressed this issue. And listen to what he says. In 2 Corinthians 6.14, he says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? If you are not planning to share the gospel with them, if you are not calling them to Christ, then what is your association with unbelievers about? Do not receive their counsel. Do not stand in their way. Do not sit in their seat. Instead, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. 2 Corinthians 6, 17. 
As they remain vigilant, the righteous await sentence. Let's look at verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Now, look at the attitude of the righteous towards God's word. They delight in it. They are hungry for it. They want to hear God. Is that you? Do you delight in the word of God? The righteous do not just listen to the word of God because for some reason they found themselves at church and have no choice but to listen. The word of God is not an extra activity that we must indulge when we have finished everything else. The word of God is not a hobby that we must engage in when we have nothing else to do. Instead, the word of God should be our delight always and in all ways. Psalm 112.1 says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Some people do not delight in the word of God because they believe it prevents them from having fun. They, they believe it, pre- it prevents them from having what they want. They just want to enjoy their youth. They just want to explore. So the word of God is hindering them from enjoying life. If you feel like this, I want to let you know that the word of God is not stopping you from having fun. The word of God is protecting you from foolishness. The word of God is helping you not to destroy your life. The word of God is helping you not to corrupt your youth. Without the word of God, you will waste your life. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and sights of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Ecclesiastes 11, 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your will. Psalm 119, verse 9. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. 2 Timothy 2, verse 22. We delight in the word of God because it is here to guide us. We delight in the word of God because it is here to correct us. We delight in the word of God because it is here to protect us. We delight in the word of God because it is here to instruct us. And we delight in the word of God because it comes from the Father who loves us. The God who knows all things has not left us to fend for ourselves. Many times we learn the hard way because we neglect God's way. Everywhere we go, we meet people with regret who are still living in ways that will cause more regret. Brothers and sisters, that should not be our story. We who have been saved by Christ through the preaching of his word should be kept by the way. The word of God will never mislead us. We should delight in studying, obeying and memorizing the word of God. We should delight in listening to sermons. We should delight in attending GCs and Bible studies. We should delight in God himself as we learn about his nature, his attributes, his redeeming grace and his promises. When we reject God's word, we reject God himself. The righteous does not only delight in God's word, but also meditate on his word day and night. This simply means that the righteous constantly consult the word of God. The righteous live in the word, and the righteous lives by the word. Before they make decisions, they consult the word. 
In fact, there is no practical righteousness without the word of God. In John 14, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You could be the most zealous person in church. You could shout, I love you, Jesus, every day. But if you do not keep Jesus' commandment, Jesus says, you do not love him. Beloved, we should be careful that our love for God is not limited to lip service. It was like that for Jews and the Pharisees. The words of Isaiah should never describe us. God should never say about us that these people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. However, if we do not keep his word, if we do not constantly meditate on his word, that description defeats us. How is your relationship with God's word? True love for God is not based on how we feel, but it's based on how we respond to his will. Many identify as Christians, but Jesus himself described who real Christians are. He describes his real disciples. In John 8, verse 31, he says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The true disciples of Jesus are those who abide in his word, those who remain in his word, those who continue in his word, those who put themselves under the authority of his word. These are the ones who will know the truth because the truth comes from the word of God. You cannot walk in truth without abiding in God's word. Reformation song says we will trust God's word alone where his perfect will is known. Our traditions shift like sand while his truth forever stand. Brothers and sisters, the unchanging truth is the word of God that every Christian must hold on to. The righteous delight in this truth. The righteous constantly meditate on this truth. The word of God is not a Sunday truth. It is an eternal truth. The word of God is not optional to the believer. It is not a take it or leave it thing. It is only true or always true. With the word of God, you don't also pick and choose what you like. It's either you believe it in its entirety or you do not believe it at all. It is true when it agrees with you. It is also true when it disagrees with you. It is true when it encourages you, but it is also true when it rebukes you. Also, the word of God is not only for pastors and those who preach it but for every believer. In the Old Testament, when Moses died, God appointed Joshua to lead the children of Israel to the promised land. When he commissioned him, he promised to protect him. He promised to be with him always. Then he gave him what is probably the most important commandment. John 1, Joshua, Joshua 1 verse 8 says, This book of law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written to it. What we see here is that a righteous leader should himself be led by God through his way. In Deuteronomy 17, we see what a good king was supposed to look like. Verse 8, verse 18 of Deuteronomy 17 says, And when he sits on the throne... Of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. 
and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and the statutes and doing them. Kings were to lead people according to the word of God. The greatest king was not the one who had the biggest army, but the one who led people to God as he was led by his word. Now think about the priests. Yes, they offered sacrifices on behalf of the people of Israel. But one of their duties was to teach the word of God to the whole nation. When they failed to teach and obey the word of God, God rebuked them and saw their sacrifices as an abomination to him. Now consider the prophet. Their main duty was not to prophesy. It was not to predict, but to call the nation to return to the law. As the people rejected the law, the prophet told them about the judgment that they were going to face. And they also obviously predicted about the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now think about Jesus himself. In his passive obedience, he faced the wrath of God as he died on the cross and resurrected on the third day to justify us. But in his active obedience, he followed and kept all God's commandments perfectly. And we can only be righteous because he obeyed and his righteousness was imputed on us. That is why we can call ourselves the righteous. Now, we have seen that the word of God was important for leaders. But what about those who are not leaders? Deuteronomy 6 gives us an answer. In that chapter, Moses gave the Israelites the Shema, which was a daily prayer for ancient Israelites and is still recited by Jewish people today. Now, immediately after that, in verse 6, this is what he says. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Moses is saying this is a word that should guide and govern the entire family. The word of God is not just a church book, it is a life book. Through the word of God, we learn how to be faithful members of the church. We learn how a godly family looks like. We learn how to be faithful employees and diligent students. We learn how to find godly spouse and how to be godly spouse. We learn how to use our money for God's glory. Brothers and sisters, the word of God is our life. For that reason, the Psalter tells us that the righteous delight in the word of God and they meditate on it day and night. As the righteous constantly receive God's word, the righteous also produces fruits. Let us look at verse 3. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruits in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. In this illustration, the psalmist simply shows that a righteous bears fruits. However, in addition to that, I want to use the same illustration to show how the righteous bear fruits. If we look at this illustration, first we see the purpose in the life of a righteous. The psalmist talk about the tree that is planted, not a white tree that grows out of nowhere. The righteous should be intentional as they seek to grow. They should live in fellowship with the Lord through word and prayer. 
A believer must have a personal relationship with God. However, that is not all. That is not all. Just like the tree that is planted on papers and is cultivated with care, the righteous are planted by God and He takes care of them. The scripture shows us that God does that through biblical churches. The word of God is the source of life for a believer. Without regular supply, they will never bear fruit. Now Christ appointed local churches to be means of regular supply for his people as they keep on learning his way. Believers have always been planted to a, a biblical church. We see that even in the New Testament. Becoming a member of a biblical church is a big step towards spiritual growth and towards bearing fruits. By nature, we know that we want to self-govern. We want to be our own authority. By becoming members of a biblical church, we are submitting to God as he planted us in an environment where we will receive regular nourishment through his way. In the book of Acts, we see that every time God saved people, he added them or he planted them to the church. From there we see how they started to grow and to bear fruit. In Act 2, Peter preached the sermon and 3,000 people were convicted and converted. Verse 41 tells us they were added to the believing group. They then devoted themselves to God's word, fellowship and prayer. In verse 45, we start seeing the results of the word and the fruit of fellowship in their lives. Love for one another became visible. We see generosity as they sold their possessions to cater for those who were in need. This is exactly how God works in the life of a believer and in the context of a local church. He saves people from different backgrounds, different tribes, different languages. People who are different and sometimes who are even enemies. He makes them one in Christ as he plants them in a local church. It is there that they are fed and nourished through his word. As they continue to fellowship, they learn how to love and care for each other. As the spirit works in them, they start recognizing that they are actually brothers and sisters. This is the work that God does in the church and this is why the church is essential. This is why God plants people in the church when he saves them. Someone said, it is visually impossible to fulfill the vast majority of New Testament commands apart from active participation in a local church. The church is a place where God prepares the righteous and helps them to be ready for the world. As they grow, they do not just bear fruits uh, in church, but they go on to bear fruits everywhere. The righteous bear fruits as part of the body, but they also bear fruits as individuals. The truth we learn at church help us as we live our daily lives. Has the truth that you are learning on Sunday shaped your life? Are there any visible fruits in your life that shows that you are indeed a Christian? Does your conduct prove that you are a Christian? Does your speech that prove that you are a Christian? Matthew 7 says, You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruits, but the diseased tree bears bad fruits. Brothers and sisters, if we are indeed Christians, fruit should talk for us. Apart from your mouth, does anything say that you are a Christian? 
Does your friends and family know that you are a Christian? Does your classmates or colleagues know that you are a Christian? A secret Christian is something that is not recognized by the scripture. Some Christians may be less vocal, but if the people of the world can claim you as one of them, then you are in danger. Listen to what John Piper said. He said, if people see this world in you, you will never point them to the next. Beloved, if your lifestyle looks exactly like that of an unbeliever apart from going to church on Sunday, that should worry you. That should scare you. There are a lot of professing Christians who are known for their political views and the sport teams they support rather than their proclamation of the gospel. There are a lot of Christians who are known for never missing parties than their faithfulness in the Lord. In their speech and conduct, there is no proof that they are Christians. Oh, beloved, I hope this is not you. If Christians were persecuted and killed, some people who claim to be Christians would walk freely because there is not enough evidence that they are Christians anyway, so no one would even kill them. But the righteous are known for their fruits. Matthew 5, verse 14 says, You are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good work and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In the world full of darkness, the righteous are the light. In the world full of lies, the righteous speak the truth. In the world full of hatred, the righteous are loving. In the world full of sexual immorality, the righteous have self-control. In the world full of corruption, the righteous are honest. And in the world full of grudges, the righteous are forgiven. All this because the righteous do not follow the evil trends of this world, but they bear fruits of righteousness. The last part of verse 3 says, In all that the righteous does, he prospers. This is not to say everything goes according to his will or his plans, but it means the righteous produces fruits in every situation. And this should be our goal, brothers and sisters. Now that we have seen the path of the righteous, let us look at the path of the wicked. In verse 4, the psalmist turns to the wicked. He says, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. The wicked are not like the righteous. All the virtues we have been talking about, you won't find them on the wicked. They are not blessed, they are not vigilant, they are not wet-centered, and they do not produce fruits. Instead, the wicked are unstable. The wicked are unstable. The psalmist says they are like chaff. They are not good grain. In the ancient times, they did not have winnowing machines. So when wheat was winnowed, it was mostly on the open field with strong wind. They would throw it up against the wind. Grain would fall to the ground, but the chaff will be blown away by the wind. According to the psalmist, the wicked are like that. They vacillate, they are hot and cold. They just follow the vibe. When you see them, you will see them going with the flow. Whenever you see them with believers, you'll be so sure that they are believers. But when you see them with the unbelievers, you'll also be so sure that they are unbelievers. That is how the wicked operate. In Christ alone they shout, then they go and look like the will. 
One man said, everyone is a Christian until it gets biblical. The wicked are like that. Sometimes they talk like believers. They sing with believers. They give like believers. They walk with believers. They live with believers. Sometimes they even look like believers. But Jesus Christ is nothing to them. It is for that reason that they are blown away by every wind. They believe everyone and everything. Christ is not their all. Now, beloved, if Christ is not your life, then there is no life in you. Everything minus Christ is equal to nothing. Now, the problem with the wicked is that they want everything but not Christ. They don't mind going to church to search for, to search for what they are looking for. If they don't find it in church, they will look it somewhere else because they are driven by the wind. They are like chaff. For that reason, the wicked are outcasts. Look at verse 5. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. This means the wicked will not be counted among the righteous, no matter how they are seen with the righteous. No matter what sacrifices they make, no matter how involved they are in the ministry of the righteous, they remain outcast. In judgment, they won't be acquitted. They remain guilty. All their good works are in vain. If you are here and are not saved, I plead with you this morning. Reconcile with God. Jesus Christ is the only gate. Enter through him. It doesn't matter how long you have been walking with believers. It doesn't matter how much you have given to the church. It doesn't matter how many people you've helped. If you have not put your trust in Jesus, you are an outcast who is driven by the wind. You know, one of the saddest words I can imagine in the Bible are, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. After walking with believers, after claiming to be a believer, after being counted with believers and after putting a title Christian in all your forms and your CV, the saddest thing will be to hear those words directed to you. These are the words that were directed to those who thought they were right with Christ because of their sacrifices and their savings. They prophesied, they did miracles, they grew up in Christian homes, they attended every church service, but they were not in Christ. Therefore, Jesus never knew them. If Jesus does not know you as his own, all religious knowledge you have is meaningless. Those who are not known by him are lost, and their end is destruction. The wicked will perish. Look at verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There is no good ending for the wicked. The world will tell you, you live once, go make mistake and do whatever. Just live your life to the fullest. What they really mean is sin the way you want. It doesn't really matter because you will die anyway. But Hebrews 9, 27 tells us that it is appointed for man to die once, then comes judgment. You will not get away with living in sin. Those who think living life to the fullest means living anyhow and sinning against God, they will perish. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
Jesus is the one who gives life. Living life to the fullest is actually living a life of faith in him alone. That is how the righteous ought to live. The righteous are not like the wicked. The righteous are blessed. The righteous are vigilant. The righteous are word-centered. And the righteous bear fruits. Let us examine ourselves and see if this is true about us. Great Father, we are so thankful, Lord, that in Christ you have made us right with you. Lord, you have called us the righteous not because of our own works, but because of what Christ did. Lord, help us that as we continue, Lord, to live this life, we may be people who are word-centered, that, Lord, we may delight in your word, that we may love your word, that your word may be the only thing that shapes our lives. Help us, O oh God, that we may bear fruits. Help us, O oh God, that we may not be like chaff that is driven by wind. But that, Father, we may always depend upon your word. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.